Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Jesus, Peter, James, and John began to walk up Mount Hermon. They were following probably a well-worn path that others walked up to the top of this mountain. Now, this mountain was is, or was at the time, and probably still is, 8,500 feet high at its peak. So this was going to be quite the hike. Well, Jesus and his disciples, they had spent six days at Caesarea Philippi, and, and now Jesus asked his inner three, his best friends, to follow him up to the top of Mount Hermon. The others had to stay behind. They probably got busy doing other things and, you know, working the ministry that God had asked them to. Well, Jesus, he needed to meet with his best friends, the inner three. Because Jesus, he was about to show them something amazing that would completely blow their minds and hopefully encourage them as they led the other disciples in the coming discouragement and times of desperation as Jesus begins to make his way towards the cross. Now, I don't know how long it had taken them to get to the top. Maybe they didn't even get to the top. Maybe they went halfway up and then stopped because 8,500 feet seems like quite the trip. Or maybe they made it all the way to the top. Either way, at some point, Jesus stopped them. And he gathers Peter, James, and John around him. And then it happened. The most glorious thing these men had ever seen. Jesus began to transform right in front of them. The Greek word is where we get the word metamorphosis from. To completely metamorphosize. To completely transform. Jesus' skin began to glow so brightly that Matthew said that his face shone like the sun. Have you ever tried to stare into the sun? Can you imagine? That's how bright Jesus' face was. And Matthew writes that his clothing changed into a brilliant white. And it was so white that Matthew describes it as light. Can you imagine how Jesus must have looked? A brilliant, glowing light with a face brighter than the sun. And this was the way he looked in heaven. This was Jesus in all his power and glory. And this was Jesus just giving these three disciples just a small glimpse of his power, his majesty, and and all the glory that he had in heaven. While this was wonderful, something even more amazing was about to happen. Because you know what happened next? Heroes, heroes from the faith showed up. Two of them, Moses and Elijah. They, they just show up. These were men of heroic proportions to Peter and James and John. I mean, this would have been like one of the greatest heroes of your nation's past showing up next to you, you know? King Arthur, if you're British. Abraham Lincoln, if you're American. Uh, Plato, Aristotle, I don't know if you're Greek. But whomever your nation reveres with great honor, imagine, imagine them showing up next to you. 
And here they were, Elijah and Moses in their glorified form, and they're standing next to Jesus. And they're talking to Jesus, just hanging out at the top of Mount Hermon. Now remember, Mount Hermon was a mountain known to be evil. A mountain where the demonic evil angels probably landed when they came to leave their proper domain and to infect the world with their particular heinous crimes. A place that, at its base, also had a place considered the entrance to hell. A temple devoted to another little g-god named Pan right there by it. You know, I think Jesus did not just randomly choose some out-of-the-way mountain to reveal his glory. No. Jesus chose a place, a mountain, devoted to Satan and his minions. And by doing that, Jesus was saying to the demonic, supernaturally evil world that I am taking this mountain back. I am putting all the hostile spiritual evil forces on notice. The kingdom of God is here and we're storming the gates of hell. That's the message Jesus sent. Well, in response to all this glory, seeing Jesus, the word is transfigured, seeing Jesus' transformation, his transfiguration, and then seeing Elijah and Moses... Peter, you know, he offers to set up three booths or three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Now, this sounds like quite an odd request for us today, you know? But for a good Jew like Peter, it made perfect sense because seeing all of this wonder would have probably made him think of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. See, the Feast of Booths took place every year in October, and, and it looked backward to the wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years that the people of Israel did. They wandered after they failed to go into the land. They then wandered in the desert for 40 years. But the cool thing about this Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles is that it also looked forward. It looked backward to all these years of wandering, but it also looked forward to Israel's full enjoyment of God's blessings when he would gather his people to the land. It was like their thanksgiving to a large degree. It was like Israel's thanksgiving. Let's celebrate what we did in the past, but let's celebrate the future to come. And during this feast, people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and and go out into the fields and build booths to celebrate the goodness of God and to reflect on all that Yahweh had done for them. And so Peter, in seeing Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, he rightly thought, okay, this is a fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, of the Feast of Booths. This is it. So that is why Peter offers to build shelters or, or tents or booths to, to honor this, this wonderful feast and the kingdom that's here. Well, we've seen Jesus transfigured, right? We've seen Elijah and Moses, but the wonder isn't over yet. Because just then, a cloud, a cloud moves over their heads. 
And then from out of the cloud, the voice of God booms forth. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know what's interesting? At the sound of God the Father saying how much he is pleased with his son and how much he wants these people and all men to listen to him, at the sound, at the voice of God the Father, that is when these three men, Peter, James, and John, that's when they fall to their faces. That's when they fall to their knees in fear. Not at the sight of Jesus and all of his heavenly glory. Not at the sight of the glorified forms of Elijah and Moses. No. It was the sound of the voice of God the Father. That's what dropped them to their knees. That's what made them fall to their faces in fear. Well, once again, as he had done at Jesus' baptism, God the Father again confirms that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God Almighty, and you should listen to him. Again, confirming for the disciples that Jesus is who he said he was, and you can trust him. Well, Peter, James, and John, they were laying there trembling in fear when, when Jesus comes to them and gently encourages them to stand up. And when they stood up, all the glory, all the majesty was gone. It was just Jesus in human form. But what a moment. What a statement of glory and majesty, and what a statement of victory over the hostile supernatural forces around them. As they began to walk down the mountain, the three disciples were probably full of questions for Jesus. And one of them was about Elijah, and the belief at the time that before the Messiah was to come, that Elijah had to come back. The disciples were probably wondering if, if what they just saw was the fulfillment of that prophecy that's found in Malachi chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Well, Jesus then explains that Elijah had returned, but it wasn't what happened on the mountain, no. Elijah had returned, and it was John the Baptist. But sadly, Jesus goes on to say the people, the Jewish people, had rejected this returned Elijah. Now, if they had accepted the new Elijah, if they had accepted John the Baptist, right, I think this whole thing would have been different, but they rejected and they killed John the Baptist. Just like Jesus says, they're going to do to him over the coming weeks. Well, as they neared the town of Caesarea, they could see a crowd of people around the disciples. Clearly, there was some commotion, something going on. Well, Jesus walks up to the crowd, and immediately a father pushes his way to the front and drops to his knees in front of Jesus. And the father says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures, and, and he suffers terribly, 
For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Well, I imagine as Jesus is standing there, looking at the disciples who are looking a little shame that they couldn't do it. Looking at this father who's in distress and looking at his son who's probably laying there in convulsions. Jesus, I can imagine, just begins to shake his head in disappointment and sorrow. And I wonder if he thinks, when will these people, and when will his disciples get it? And why? Why, after coming down from the high they just had, the moment of transfiguration, the glory of the Lord, meeting Moses and Elijah, they just came from that high, that spiritual mountaintop experience. Why, I wonder if Jesus thinks, is the first thing we experience, the first thing we encounter, this kind of spiritual defeat. This demon could have easily been exercised if the disciples and these people had the faith to kick this demon out of this boy. Well, Jesus commands the boy to be brought to him. And when the boy arrives, Jesus rebukes the demon. And immediately it leaves the child. No work, no terribly long ritual with candles and wax or anything like that. No, no. Jesus rebukes it and the demon flees. And when the disciples saw that, they were amazed. How did Jesus do this so easily? I wonder if they thought, what did we do wrong? Was it where we placed our hands? Maybe was it how they prayed? They didn't pray long enough or they didn't say the right words. They get so frustrated that the disciples turn to Jesus and ask him, what did we do wrong that we couldn't get the demon out of this boy? Well, Jesus, I imagine after healing the boy, he stands up. And he looks directly into the eyes of the disciples. And he says this. Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. There was another time, right? When Jesus pointed out how... How small the faith of the disciples was. There was another time when Jesus pointed out the disciples' lack of faith. Remember when they were looking for food? Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. You don't have enough faith that I can provide for your needs. Or, Or when they were in the middle of a storm, right? And when they got to shore and everything was calm, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And now here, when they could not get a demon out of a boy, Jesus says, guys, you have such little faith. Notice he doesn't say they have no faith. He says they have little faith. And what that means is that they have a faith that's not strong. It's not bulked up, you know, and it hasn't been worked out. No, it's it's little, it's weak. It gives up in the first, you know, ounce of adversity that it faces. Maybe these disciples prayed for this demon to move and nothing happened. And so, um, you know, Mark comes and prays, nothing happens. And then Thaddeus tries and, and nothing happens. And so they just give up. 
Their faith was little. Jesus wants them to not give up. And he wants them to persist in faith, to have big faith, to believe in the God they serve and to keep on praying. Notice too that Jesus says, if they had faith as small as a mustard seed. Think about it. That is a small, super small, one of the smallest seeds out there. But again, Jesus says, if you had faith even that small, if you had faith like a mustard seed, they could accomplish the impossible. Now wait, now wait, wait. This is where it gets a little confusing, right? Jesus had just said they had little faith. And now Jesus is saying if they had faith as small as a mustard seed, they could accomplish much. You just said, Jesus, that we have little faith. And now you picked the littlest thing and said, if you had little faith like that, you could accomplish much. What is Jesus saying here? See, I think what he's saying is this. It's not the size of the faith. It's the quality of the faith. Is it little in the sense that it's not growing? Your faith isn't getting any bigger? The disciples' faith should be growing. It should be strengthening. But it's not. Many of them are stuck in what Jesus is calling little mode, right? And it's not the littleness of the seed that Jesus is focusing on. Instead, notice he says, if you had faith the size of what? A mustard seed. Now remember, earlier, Jesus compares the gospel of the kingdom to... A mustard seed. It, it was going to start out small, just like a little mustard seed. But then, just like a mustard seed, it's going to grow and get bigger and get bigger and get bigger. And then one day the kingdom is going to fill the whole earth. It isn't the size of the little seed that Jesus is emphasizing, but the growth. The never stopping, won't quit, always expanding growth of the mustard seed. And so it is with faith, right? We all start little bitty. But the key, the key is not to let your faith stay there. Don't let your faith stay little bitty. <laughs> if you've been a believer for any time, it's time to start to work that faith, strengthen that faith, exercise it, see it grow. And if you want to see it grow, You've got to be persistent in faith. And you've got to not give up. Jesus is saying, disciples, you have little faith because it is not growing. It should be growing. And it should be like a mustard seed starting small, but growing bigger and bigger. And when faced with this demon, when it did not leave at the first try, you shouldn't have given up. You should have kept on going, kept on praying, kept on putting your focus and trust in Jesus. But you gave up at the first obstacle, at the first hint of pushback. Don't give up. Persist in faith. And Jesus is giving them encouragement for their ministries to come. Soon they're going to be without him. And he wants them to understand it is impossible to please God without faith, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he wants them to know what type of faith it's going to take. It's going to take a faith that keeps on growing. 
You know, we can accomplish the impossible if we keep growing in our faith, if we do not get discouraged in prayer. You know, you've been praying for years for something to happen, but nothing happens. Don't give up. You've been praying for someone to be saved or someone to be healed or for a forgiveness to occur or for debts or financial problems to be worked out, for God to just move in your life and to act. And you pray and you pray and nothing. The sky seems silent like it's made of brass. You see nothing moving into that. Jesus would say, don't be of little faith. Exercise that faith. Do not give up, O ye of little faith. Keep exercising. Keep watching that mustard seed grow. Do not, do not, do not give up. Don't give up, disciples. Grow your faith. Be strong. Thank you for listening to Bald Head Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.